Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today I'm here with Chandler Vanoy and Dr. Brad Wagner. That's weird. I never call you Dr. Yeah. Um, I just call you Brad or most of the time Wagner or sometimes probably not in your presence, but Wags. Wags. <laughs> yeah, I was called Wags in high school. That and Curly Joe. Curly I, Joe. I had curly hair back then before I started wow. doing church ministry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just be glad you still have hair. And my middle name is Joe, so Curly Joe. Curly yeah. Joe. All right. I did not know that. So yeah. that's, a, that's, that's a good little tidbit there. I was expecting Chandler once again to lead me in uh, and I would throw out a but it's been a long, When's long time. When's the last time you've done the what? It's been a long time. So most people haven't heard that. Oh, well. It was back in the day when Barnabas was here. <laughs> so people either really liked it or thought it was really annoying. So it'd be interesting to pull I still that. do it on the uh, New Church podcast. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So check that one out if you don't. And all the other podcasts in our uh, Lifeway Leadership Network, which there are several. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get let's get started. Yeah. So this is episode four of our emphasis on church staff in the month of January. And today we are talking about how to develop and lead your church staff. So we're going to hop right into it here. And the first question is this and going to lead in with a little bit of research. So Lifeway Research shows that only one in four churches has a staff development plan in place. And about one third of churches spend $250 or less on training and development of paid staff members. So... Let's just start by talking about why this could be a problem. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I thought back on my own experience. So I've served in three three different churches in terms of paid staff. I've been a part of many others. And I'll just be honest. I don't I don't think people even think about this. The the average back at least in my day, the average pastor felt like almost like you you came ready made or they trusted the seminary. If you had a seminary degree, well, they're trained. It was all done. Yeah. And, and so I just I think it's a huge oversight for whatever reason. But I, I think it's negligence. It's leadership negligence to not make this a really high priority. I know, Todd, you talk often about empowering, equipping, and raising up leaders and, and helping them invest in others. And I, I agree 100%. Uh, I, I sure wish that others would have uh, taken me on as a project along the way, and I think I could have learned a lot with some intentionality. But it's just for whatever reason, it's not a priority, and it, and it should be. Um, you know, going back to, you know, Chandler, when we um, put some of these questions together, I, I think one of the things that's important to understand is that research said it's actually about 27% of, of churches have a development and plan in place for their staff or um, or their lay leaders and volunteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, a, I think, an important thing to, to think about. The fact that and separately, that is, a, that is the correct uh, statistics that churches spend $250 or less on training for their development uh, for their paid staff members. I mean, you know, the reason why that is important is because they're spending more on goldfish (laughs) than they are staff development. So I just want to kind of let that linger for a moment. I mean, this is, if we look at the church uh, and I'm going to, you know, 
bust that out back again to just the people. This is both the the staff, uh, pastors, whoever, as well as just the people in your church. So this is applicable to everybody, no matter what size church they have. The number one resource, the number one thing that we have been called to steward is the people. And so, uh, yes, we often think about growing the people in terms of discipleship, but I would also say that's development. And, and often, as we pointed out before, those are really two sides of the same coin. But this is a problem because we are called to be stewards of the body as um, in Ephesians 4, uh, as well as equippers of the body. So that's the big thing. And it, we're not doing that. We're not right-sizing the resources to do what we've been called to do. So we're spending money on other things, obviously, than than these th- this one thing that we're really supposed to do and do really well. Now, I, I can add that in my experience, there was a little bit more money made available than this amount, but it but it was not supervised. So, in other words, I got to spend up to two weeks a year going to conferences. That would be the biggest expense, probably, mm-hmm. that yeah. the church has invested in me. But I I don't ever recall there being a plan for that. I just remember getting like a book allowance, which meant <laughs> when CBD uh, came came in, and you yeah. know I got that little catalog, and mm-hmm. I was I was young, okay. But um, we're then talking about, we're talking about Christian book distributors, right? Yes, we are. There's a different CBD these yeah. days, uh, but luckily that wasn't around when I was young, so that wasn't an issue. Um, for me, what this was the issue. I was usually in spots that. I was too young for like technically most people look at me and like your children's and student minister at this church in Cincinnati, you're 20 years old. This is who, who did this? Well, um, there was an interim pastor, so it really didn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's who did that. Um, but you know, all that to say, I would then take that magazine and I would look for, you know, the biggest leather bound or, or, or pleather looking uh, set that, you know, would make me look like <laughs> I knew what I was talking about. Making your office look legit. Yes. And I would buy that set. Um, you know, now I was reading plenty of business books um, and I didn't really read any of the, uh, the history of the church fathers or uh, whatever those were. Now I did have the B series and I used the B series a lot. Um, that was pretty much the only set uh, that I used on my shelf. Otherwise, it was a bunch of business books. And then these, you know, all of Luther's works and all these random things that were public domain that just got printed and put in really a decent. Good. Yeah, that looked really good on a shelf. Yeah. I, this is confession time. So, <laughs> No, I think the stat, you know, we share it uh, when we do pipeline coaching days. We also do it when we talk about ministry grid. And it always is pretty shocking for people to hear. Oh, wow. Only. One in four churches, 27% have an actual plan in place. So and when we say it, there's definitely that uh, you feel the need to be able to put that development plan in place. So we're going to get into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of what that might look like to develop and lead your staff. So the next question is, is how does role clarity, job descriptions, and clear goals help in development? Well, it's the common sense answer to that is that role clarity is essential. I mean, you know, you're hiring, whether whether it's a volunteer you're supervising or you've hired somebody, there, there should be clear expectations about what is it you expect them to do. Back to a comment I made in a previous podcast, 
what's the preferred future that we're seeking to achieve in, in our church? And then what what is the specific thing you're looking to this individual to be able to do in order to move the church in that in that direction? So there's got, yeah, there has to be role clarity. And to me, I, I guess I'm not a big fan of the word job description because often it's so, I've seen that in the very bureaucratic context, but role clarity along with really, really good goals and objectives. So another one of my favorite books that I know the three of us in this room, uh, you know, the four disciplines of execution mm. is a really good resource about um, role clarity and expectations, um, measurable, attainable, you know, you've heard of, I know you've heard of smart goals, but but taking the the role clarity into specific um, objectives, and then the whole lead and lag measures thing. So you can, yeah, you you. It doesn't take a genius to bring some specificity to your expectations of a staff member. I think that's absolutely essential. So yeah, I would uh, again echo the the clarity portion of this is the biggest piece um, yeah. because again. If people are left to their own devices, they're going to do their own math and right. they're going to create their own job description and it's going to be whatever they want or don't want. Yeah, to and do. they define success. And also it allows them to define success however right. they want. That's, that's really important. So um, role clarity is, I think, developed by the, the two other things that are here, job description or role profile, um, as we'd probably call it, if we want to include both job descriptions and stuff for volunteers, which I think is important. So if you want to blanket um, term for both role profile. The reason why that's important because there's some places like the Commonwealth of Virginia where if you call it a job description, you can get yourself in big trouble. There's actually been people taken to um, court over having volunteers perform things that were given to them oh, in wow. a job description. Legality. Uh, anyway, um, but having a clear role profile and then clear goals those help in development because of what Brad was just talking about, being able to have, number one, <laughs> those people actually know what is expected of them. Right. They know what they're getting into. They know what the win looks like. Uh, and then clear goals are, are ultimately what's going to, they're going to be measured upon and is going to lead to development because- you know, one of the things I'm proud of, most proud of in the pipeline process is, you know, the training that we have goes along with the role profile that we give everybody. And so it's like, well, I like these role profiles. I need to develop training toward it. No, it's already hard baked in. And P.S., that gives you a really good uh, indicator of somebody who is ready for the next step of leadership because I can check off the boxes. Does this person show competency in all these elements of their role description? Uh, and then if so, awesome. Well, I want to look at the next rung up in the job description of, uh, of, of that role and then say, okay, here's some areas of development that you can <laughs> you know, look to achieve this year. Uh, and that's just a easy way to say, hey, 
Um, that same research that found only one in four churches um, has a staff plan in place. It also revealed what the top four or five reasons why. The first is they said, we don't know where to start. We don't know where to begin. We don't know how. We don't uh, have resources. We don't have time. Um, all those were, you know, kind of in the, in, in the top four. So we tried to address those um out of that research. So that research is actually about five and a half years old now. Um, But, you know, we developed all this content based on a lot of that research. So anyway, uh, I think that role clarity is absolutely essential. And that is how it gets you to development. If you don't know where you're taking them and they don't know where you're taking them and the next step isn't easy, obvious and strategic, People do not have time for you, especially in this day and age, and especially a leader. They're going to go somewhere else and give of their time where somebody respects them um, and has clear expectations. You know, I know we talk about a lot of, uh, we get, as even do the book breakdowns on this podcast, and you might hear four disciplines of execution in here. Well, that's a business book. I don't know how ac- applicable that might be to my ministry. I would just say our church, um, a few kind of young leaders group, we read through that, and it was a great time to process. A lot of us were on the guest services team, so we just processed, hey, what are some goals for us as a church and for our guest services team? So it might be something helpful to read maybe with your staff. I just want to reiterate what Brad just was talking about. And then also, uh, we were talking about role profiles. And if you're like, just as Todd was saying, I don't know where to start. We have actually have role profiles and job descriptions and other checklists on Ministry Grid that you can actually download and you can edit those to customize them to fit your church's context. So we do have, we've tried to help you have a place to start. So make sure that you check those out. I wasn't starting out this episode thinking we were going to have a shameless plug for grit. But hey, we were that's not. what the research, that's where it originally is from. So, yeah. So next question going along with kind of uh, leading and developing your staff, how often should you meet with your direct reports? And then the second part of this is, is how often should you have performance reviews as well? So I would say to the first question, often. I, I just personally, if, you know, we all have this, if we could do ministry over, what what changes would we make? I would invest more time in key leaders. I really would. You know, the gravitational pull in ministry is toward all of the demands that, that go on in a typical church. You know, there was a guy named Billy Hanks that I worked with when I was right out of college, and he talked about, he was talking about Christ, but he talked about Christ's public ministry and then his private ministry. And then a few years later, I got to be an understudy to Dr. Robert Coleman, the master plan of evangelism guy. And so he he made similar distinctions between kind of the public ministry setting versus this private setting. And, and the commonality is, is the emphasis on investing deeply in a few people. I benefited from that, but, but uh, I sometimes I've been inconsistent, but I would meet often. Now, what's often? You know, I, it depends. I don't know. Uh, at least every other week, um, and maybe in maybe even more often in a developmental phase, until you feel like that leader is really off and flourishing. But I, I would just spend more. I'd spend more time with my key leaders, not necessarily just staff members, but other people who have great potential to do a lot of of the the work and service in the life of the church. So uh, often, and I wouldn't rush those interactions either. You know, I wouldn't be too driven by the clock. Yeah. Allow a little bit of time for Q&A and you never know what direction it might take. Uh, so uh, let me let me just pause and get your all's response to that. 
Um, would you agree or disagree with that general idea of often? Um, I agree with often and it, it, you know, people are probably looking for a prescriptive answer of once a week. Um, but you know, in a ministry setting that's sometimes difficult to do, it's also difficult to do depending on the number of direct reports you have. Um, I would say, uh, so that's why I, I guess I would tend to agree with Brad and say often, um, the big thing about what that looks like, I think is important too, though. Um, for me, uh, Chandler, you can tell me if I actually do this or not, because um, we meet like once a week, and I try to think of it in thirds. So I'm thinking a third is personal, uh, and that is just caring enough about their life and just talking about whatever's important to them. Um, and then a third of it is uh, them specifically and what their role is on our team. And then a third is like, really, how are they interacting with the overall team and overall what we're doing? So a third of it is is them personally, a third of it is them professionally, and a third of it is really them as a teammate or team member. Uh, and I don't think I've ever actually voiced that. No. Is that? I'm thinking about it now, and I'm like, Yeah. This reaction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had a, a similar, you know, a lot of people over the years have used the uh, head, heart, and hands uh, terminology, but similar to what you're saying is that when I think about investing in a future or current leader, it would be the head part would be the idea phase, you know, whether that's theologically driven or whether it's strategy for the church or whatever, but the the thinking side of, of what you're trying to develop in that person. The heart is the character side, and t- too often we neglect that. Um, I can just say over and over again that there's, we in, in our denominational setting, a lot of emphasis on doctrine, and we need more emphasis on, uh, on the character, the heart side of things. So I would definitely not ignore that. And then the hands would represent the skills. You know, what, what are the skills we must hone in order to be effective. But so I would say often the second part of your question uh, is performance reviews. I, my typical answer is I'm against annual reviews uh, because it's like, that's just, it's too perfunctory, too much time in between. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's almost ridiculous. Yeah. I I think it should be more organic. Now, if you've got to do something annually to fit some process that your church has set up from an HR that's yes. fine, but but I I think correction and input and evaluation and appraisal should be organic and routine, uh, on the spot. You know, right. when something develop, when something happens, is there a teachable moment there? And uh, whether it's positive reinforcement or whether it's more instruction and correction, it, it should be organic. Mm-hmm. I, I would totally agree with that. So the way I was going to answer that is I was going to say, yeah, you should definitely have a annual review. Um, and, you know, the second part of that is what kind of questions should be asked during these meetings. I would say things that align with your values and then contextualize to their ministry. But a big piece of this is there should never be a surprise in a performance review where um somebody's just completely shocked that you have a problem with the way that they handle conflict or people, or if there's some situation, the time to address that situation is in the moment. Hence the term situational leadership. Um, There's plenty of books on that. 
Um, but you know, a one minute manager rings a bell. Uh, but the, the, the thing there too, I would say is, um, really when it comes to that situational leadership, it is, um, just taking the, taking the time to address it then, or that week, um, that is where that comes into the personal time of that one-on-one. If you're seeing something in someone, um, whether it be a, a heart issue or a skills issue, I think that's the perfect time to address that. Then it's like, okay, well, tell me about, you know, your performance piece, your professional piece, um, and, and, and so on and so forth. But the, I think the questions you should ask during your, um, performance review process is really, based on the goals that they have for their area of ministry and then, you know, perhaps the job description and values and ask them to score themselves. So if you look back through my Twitter feed um, for several years, uh, every performance review I had with Geiger, Eric Geiger, I would come out and I would basically tweet um, how many, how many times that we were aligned on what my score was, where it's like, exceeding expectations, you know, somewhat meets expectations, <laughs> not, so on and so forth, because my goal, and I think it, it was probably his goal too, but my personal goal was like, I want us to agree on, you know, where I am. Uh, and so much so that when we come in and compare notes, we're on the same page. And if there's a discrepancy, it's because he's thinking I'm doing better than I am <laughs> in something. Um, but I, I thought that tool was really helpful. Um, and, and, you know, just keeping short accounts in, in life and ministry, I think, is important anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, going back to the previous question, you're not going to be able to do that if there's no clarity. And so uh, there are some types of people and personalities that um, are are going to definitely take advantage of a lack of clarity and because of the lack of accountability that lack of clarity often brings. I'm starting to realize how long I've been working on your team because I, right as you were saying, and I said, nothing should be a surprise during your annual <laughs> review. Like it was going out of your mind. Um, I, I, you, you referenced that. So I, I sit on multiple teams here at Lifeway. So I actually have multiple annual reviews. So I get that different experience. <laughs> and one, you know, one of those, it's going through my role profile and circling, just as you mentioned. And I think that is a very healthy way to go through it is how would you score yourself and talking through that with your with your report. Um, so let me ask this question. So of course you're looking back on the previous year in performance. Would you say that's a time to talk about goals for the next year or is that another meeting or is that the same one? Well, I think if you're doing an annual, you know, if that's part of the culture and part of your routine is annual, then yes, I, I think it, it's a natural segue to move toward the, you know, okay, going forward, how do we make improvements in some of these areas? So the answer is yes. Now, I already weighed in on, you know, I, I'm not big on annual uh, reviews, but but I think, I think that even, it may sound a little idealistic, but I don't think it has to be. Even... I think every interaction that is instructive and and edifying and corrective in nature is a, is looking forward. Mm-hmm. You're talking. You're you're restating what needs to happen happen in the future. But if you do annual reviews, yes, I would definitely have a a future lens. Yeah. Well, let's go to the next question. Um, adding responsibility to develop your staff. So adding a role on top, adding some responsibility to their already. Um, assigned role. 
when should you give stretch assignments and how does adding responsibility help develop your staff? Well, I'll, I'll just say that I think if we all had time to tell our own stories, almost everything that we've learned at some point, we somebody just threw us into the deep end of the pool. And I remember, I'll, I'll, I won't bore your listeners with all the reasons why, but I, I ended up at the last minute circumstances developed and I ended up teaching as an adjunct instructor at Hardin-Simmons University mm-hmm. in Abilene, Texas with very little uh, advanced preparation. And I was barely older than any of the, than the students in the classroom. And I was thrust into teaching. I'd, I'd not had any training really to speak of, no prior experience. And, and looking back on it, that was really good for me to be forced into the deep end of the pool. Um, I'm not saying that's always wise, but I think I think all of us can tell stories where, even, you know, Todd, as you know, I grew up on a ranch. Right. Um, there are plenty of times my dad just gave me a job and I either and I either was able to do it or it was success if I didn't kill myself. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, <laughs> so success. success is not killing you. Success is coming home at night. Yes. You know, when you're on a branch. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be careless about it, but I think purposely putting people into like, let them preach a sermon. You might want to do it in a safe environment, like on <laughs> Wednesday night or something, but yeah. So, you know, in, in the context of uh, of uh, Pipeline Day, I'll talk about how I learned to swim. Okay. Um, so my dad and my uncle taught me and my cousin how to swim the same day, same time. One of them was in the water, and one of them was on the bank throwing us back in the water. <laughs> that's how you were damaged, huh? And that's how you the, we learned to swim that way. And I would say it, but it doesn't have to be that way. The way my child learned to swim was at the Y. <laughs> yeah. You're um, a little more humane. A little more humane. So there are going to be elements. And I mentioned before, um, I'm not going to tell the story on the podcast because it would take too long. But there are multiple uh, instances in that first time as a student slash children's pastor that if some of those stories came to light, I would no longer be, I wouldn't have made it into, into ministry, you know, because the cops showed up on more than one occasion. (laughs) Um, they were rough and I was rough too. I didn't know what to do. Um, but, but all that to say, you know, I was definitely thrown into the deep end and, and yes, I, uh, ended up coming out of it, but I'm afraid a lot of people don't. So I would go along with Brad and say, you want to be careful and measured in how you do uh, stretch assignments. It is not a suicide mission. Yeah. And is it rational? Is it tied to something essential to their areas of responsibility? Um, so we need to clarify that. It needs to have an edifying purpose. Yeah. It's an intentional stretch. Exactly. It's not just dumping responsibility. No, yeah. it's not, let's see what this guy does. Yeah, yeah watch <laughs> this, as they say. Seek or swim. But, you know, there was um, uh, a while back a tool, I think it's in the ebook, the Creating Recruiting Culture ebook, the Nine Box, you know what I'm talking about? That's succession ebook. Okay. Yep. There's a succession ebook uh, that we did a while back um, that's creating succession at every level in your church. And so in it, there's a nine box assessment tool that's uh, potential and performance. It was originally designed by um, 
oh, I can't think of the company. It was originally designed to evaluate stocks, actually. <laughs> Uh, but potential and performance. So it was like, hey, you know, wh- where does this person fit? Um, and so there's three uh, three of those boxes that stretch assignments are one of the things that you do with a person in that box. So if a person has uh, seemingly high potential but medium performance, well, it's time to see. Or if a person has incredible performance and, you know, medium potential, well, that person is probably pretty comfortable and we love them and we don't want to see them go. And they're, they're, they would be an easy set it and forget it kind of person in our ministry. But that's not what we're called to do. And so, you know, stretching that person is, uh, is the right thing to do. And so it, it's helpful to be able to have something to evaluate um, a person and then stretch them accordingly or develop them accordingly. So uh, I know that was kind of a, a point back, but if you would um, put that in the show notes yeah. where people can download that. You know, Brad, when you're sharing your story of just being kind of looking around being like, all right, I've never done this before, but I'm going to jump in and yeah. you know, learn on the job. Um, I think of the, it's the, the imposter syndrome of really kind of you're being thrown into something and you just feel like you do not belong there. And having to overcome that, and I feel like those stretch assignments allow, just as you were saying, the, the potential, we see the potential, we want to see the performance, and especially being set up to win. So it's dealing with that imposter syndrome. I don't feel like I'm supposed to be there, but somebody's saying, we believe in you, setting you up for success. Uh, those stretch assignments can really help develop people and grow them along the way. So I will say this too. So, you know, if you look at, if you look at a tool like Grid, it accomplishes two things. One, giving someone training um, often builds competence. At least it should, or it's not been written well. It should have a learning objective, and we should be trying to achieve specific things there. The other piece is confidence. So, you know, it is a competence and a confidence raiser where that person feels like, okay, I can do this, rather than I can't believe you dumped this on me. So training in my opinion, is one of the key ways, whether it's a staff person or a volunteer, where at least, you know, uh, perceptionally or emotionally or the feeling that I feel when someone gives me a role, if that, if you don't prepare me for that role or I feel like I'm walking in blind or was, was thrown in, um, it is that imposter syndrome. It is that lack of confidence uh, element in yeah. addition to the competence that's important to what address. What came to my mind, Todd, was dirty delegation when you were talking about. Oh, right. You, you know, some some people, <laughs> they, they'll just, they, they just throw people into stuff because they don't want to do it mm. with no real strategy or purpose. And that that's not, not what we're talking about. Yeah. Brad, I know you're a football guy. So what I'm thinking of is when we have, you know, Tennessee, we have quarterbacks coming and going all the time. I'm a Tennessee fan. And when you have a, a young quarterback coming in, you want to set them up with with quick wins on the field, you know, not the hard passes, but the easy passes. In the same way, if you're going to set someone up for a stretch assignment, let them, like, give them easy wins to start out with so that they feel comfortable and gain that mm-hmm. confidence. So, all right, let's move on to the last question here. What are three practical steps someone can take and implement tomorrow to begin to develop and lead their staff? Well, I'm going to start with just words we've already used, but intentionality. Uh, have a plan. And, and it, it's not rocket science to just say, what is it I'm expecting of this person to grow into? And and be as clear, you know, Todd talked more than once about how important clarity is. Um, 
So have have intentionality that is aligned with the purpose and mission of the church and aligned with this individual that you're trying to help. And um, and then the, the other thought I had is, um, you know, don't just map out where they need to grow, but map out the how, you know, what, what, in what ways are you going to put them into the field of service and, and how are you going to uh, guide them, supervise them, communicate with them? So there, there's got to be a plan f- for that. And then the last thing that I put down here is do things together. I think there are a lot of missed opportunities. Um, you've, you have, and this could be true of, of when you're dealing with lay volunteers in your church too. It doesn't have to be a staff member, but a lot of pastors have to do a lot of things, whether it's hospital visitation or um, counseling situation. Even I, I started in the ministry a long time ago when people would still do you know, home visitation and door-to-door evangelism, stuff like that. And, you know, but take people when you can't, try not to do things alone. You're going over to visit some people in a nursing home or you're you're driving somewhere to speak to a conference, you know, take people with you. I mentioned that I got to be an understudy to Robert Coleman for two years, Dr. Robert Coleman. There was a an oil man in Texas, actually Oklahoma rather, who he knew the with him principle was very important. So he gave Dr. Coleman, he gave the institution some money so that he could afford to take people with him on his traveling, on his trips. So I got to benefit. I got to travel with him, sit on the airplane with him, watch him do his thing. So those are a few thoughts. Uh, So we boiled that down into a kind of a value on our um, hospitality teams. And so we would say, um, take, don't tell. And so whether it's something as simply as, you know, a, a new person, um, that is at your church, Hey, don't tell them, take them where they need to go. But also if it's a new volunteer, don't just tell them, go stand, you know, here and, and do this. It was take them with you. And the, the idea was that, um, so much is transferred in the experience. So if you look at, um, uh, pipeline, you know, philosophy, it would be that transformation occurs when it's not transactional. It's not a transfer of information. Transformation happens when you have an overlap of knowledge, experience, and coaching. So one of the things that you, a practical step you could take this week is to say, hey, when I'm bringing someone uh, into a new spot, um, what is the knowledge component that they need? What's the experience component that they need? And then what are the um, elements of coaching that are going to happen along the way? Can I go ahead and, you know, have that scheduled as part of that experience? So, yeah, I'm going to train them to to do this t- task or, you know, lead this. Uh, but then what, you know, what's the experience piece? And then wh- how am I going to hard bake in those three elements to make sure that that... Um, responsibility is transferred effectively that that person gains competence and confidence along the way because there's going to be elements of coaching that you know hey i want to praise you and tell you all the things that you did right and i want to point out a couple of things that you know you could do better or tell you why we do this here and this way so so much of that is is a caught thing um other practical steps that you can take is um you know, getting clear role descriptions <laughs> and actually giving them. I am shocked at how many churches that are large churches 
that um, I'll go into to do a pipeline process with them specifically. A lot of times we're doing pipeline with groups um, of churches, but then sometimes, you know, there'll be a larger church that says, hey, will you come out? And, you know, I may be there three times over the course of a year. And, um, you know, it's the second time when we get into structure and systems and all this stuff where you find out they don't have role descriptions sometimes for their staff, mm. let alone for volunteers. their volunteers. But it's super important to have that all the way, all the way up and down the line. I got one more. I hate to do it, but I got to plug grid here because, I mean, if you immediately wanted to get clarity on not only role descriptions, but training for those role description templates for lots of stuff. I mean, uh, man, it's there's so much on there. And if you like what we do, if you think that um, you've been listening to this podcast for a while and that we have any insight or, man, I wish I could spend some time with those guys just processing some, some stuff. We've already processed it all. We spent years doing it and we've put it together in a in a way that is in a scope and sequence logical order that will help people um, figure out where they are and, you know, make each step easy, obvious and strategic. So I want to plug something as well. Uh, right. As we as we went through this process, um, I thought of a couple of there are a lot of books, really, but. Um, Chuck Lawless wrote a book called Mentor. Um, uh, he's a respected leader, veteran leader, professor at Southeastern Seminary. But I, I, I highly recommend his book on mentor or mentoring that's highly relevant to what we've been talking about today. And then I mentioned Dr. Robert Coleman. If you've not read <laughs> The Master Plan of Evangelism, you need to read that book. It's a classic. And it's relevant to this conversation as, as well. So two books that are helpful to read. Well, thanks so much for listening in for the month of January as we cover church staff. This is our last episode on it. So if you missed any of the other episodes, make sure to head back and get caught up. And we do hope it was helpful. If it was, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. And maybe even share it with another friend, pastor, church leader. So thanks for listening.